was popping, was popping, was popping. Welcome, Nikki and Moose. I'm Nikki. That's Moose. What up, Moose? What up, y'all? And this is a very special episode. Behind every great brand, behind every great business, there is someone who's working hard behind the scenes, not only making sure certain things are in place, but the revenue's coming in. The systems are in place. And I'm talking about revenue, it's talking about like two million in one year. Everybody needs this particular person. And why I say it's special, because you may know this person, you may have heard this person every single week, but you don't really know who he is. You don't know the backstory. You don't know where he's at right now, and you don't know what the future holds. Moose, who are we talking about? Man, I couldn't keep a straight face throughout uh, the intro, but we talking about the one and only, just so I can keep it consistent. We talking about me, y'all. We, t- <laughs> we talking about me tonight. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I wanted to do something different, but uh, let's get into this intro. Two kids from Queens. Cut from a different cloth. Now, joining forces, helping you to elevate your personal brand. Yeah, I'm talking about Nikki and Moose, bringing you a never-before-seen perspective into the mindset, the mentality, the behaviors, the driving force, but more importantly, the stories behind the people and brands that you know and love the most. And you know... Before we get into this amazing episode, this is powered by Ecamm Live, the number one all-in-one streaming platform that allows you to stream not only to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, all the social media platforms all at once, but allows you to also do pre-recorded videos for your courses, for your content on social media, allows you to do text transitions, everything that you may need, video isolations, audio isolations, It is everything you need for podcasting, content, you name it, it could do. And we're giving 14 days for free on us. If you go to www.nickyandmoose.com slash ecamm, that's E-C-A-M-M. And they actually added a new feature with AI that allows you to come up with new titles. When you're stuck on titles, you hit a little button And AI allows you to come up with some of the best titles for your content. Go to NikkiAndMoose.com slash Ecamm to get your 14-day trial. So fire. Moose, how are we feeling? Man, I am uh, feeling a little nervous. A little nervous, you know? All right. Nervous. It's a different different kind of episode. I get to take the hot seat on this one. But but no, I'm I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I feel good. Things are great. Halfway through, a little a little more than halfway through the month of Ramadan. At the time that we're recording this, that the time that you'll listen to it will be probably in the last ten days or so. So believe mm. it or not, man, time time is uh this one this one is going pretty fast, you know. So yeah, I feel like yeah. it has because I think I only asked about it twice, and you're like, oh, we're yeah. already done. I was like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, and and. The, uh, the the period of the fast is also a little shorter. So, and shorter by me, like the number of hours that we're fasting. So typically, 
uh, you know, we we break fast at like 8, 8.30. So I don't look as maybe depleted uh, this year, at least so I like to think. Uh, you know, because we break it fast like 7.30, 7. Okay. When the beginning of the month, it was like 7.10, I think it was. So we're at we're at the 7.30 mark now, which is oh, it's not bad. You get to build your tolerance and... Uh, you know, as, as you go on. So we, 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 we maintain it. We maintain okay. it. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like that. And the only time I'm probably going to talk about me is right now. I'm good people. Uh, <laughs> I did a, I did a thing on social media. Um, I put out to the universe that I wanted a dog. Mm. Yes. You put this on social? I wow. did. I did. I did. Um, a specific dog at that, uh, a French bulldog. Okay. I wanted a French bulldog. I put it out in the universe. And the thing about me, everything I say somehow comes to life. And so I knew if I put it out there, um, it would happen for those who don't, uh, for our day ones and who may have, uh, noticed or whatever spazzy my dog uh, passed last year. So it's like, uh, trying to figure out, okay, do I need a dog? Do I not? And then I realized, uh, I haven't ever not been without a dog. So, uh, with the, you know, with me being transparent on one of our lives about where my state of mind was, somebody suggested like, yo, I think you may need a dog. I said, you may be right. But, you know, I want a specific dog if I'm going to get a dog now. And so mm-hmm. there may be some things in the works. So we'll see. But I will say this. If I do get a dog, one, it is going to be super branded out. I just want to let you know. Let's go. It's going to be a go. brand. We're going to have a new co-host. I'm just letting Home you know. It's, oh, oh, I mean, content strategy. already know the colors. Mm. Right. Already know the brand colors, have a tagline, everything. Hey, some dog pages do better than some uh, some people pages. I ain't even going to lie. So listen, I see it. I see it. Listen, I said it's going to be a new co-host. We're going to get doggy sponsorships. I don't care. Mm. (laughs) Mm. I I like it. I like it. I don't care. I like it. But if anybody. Uh, happens, and mind you, what I put out on social media was I do not want to pay uh, my unborn child for this Frenchie. Mm. Because, yeah, I looked at the prices. Yeah, a friend, be... friend of the family just just dropped a couple, couple Ks on. Mm. Yes. On, literally, like, yesterday. That's funny. No, that you're you... saying couple. Like, that's that's two. Oh, no, like a couple of couples. So they dropped like four. Yeah, they they dropped four. There's more. Wow. There's way No. Yeah. So. Ten? Like ten more? So there's, they start from some of them. The one I'm specifically looking at. uh, Mm. Seven to ten. It could Mm. be higher depending on who breeds them and everything like that. So I'm learning a lot. But this is not what, like I said, this is the only time I'm talking about me. You know what I mean? A couple vacations right there is what that was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I see That's what it. I said. I do not want to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For, 
Yeah, I don't want to do let's, it. Let's get the connects right, man. Let's get the listen, connects right for Knicks. Listen, oh, just I think it's only right. If I added any kind of value, oh, and you just happen to know a really cute Frenchie, pass that over. Yeah, you know I mean, pass that over, please and thank you. But let's get into this episode. So here's the thing, right? And this this was of my calling. Um, and I got I kind of been like bugging Moose a little. I think I said this maybe twice before, right? I was like, we should interview you. He's like, mm. Because we all know Moose is very private, right? And shout out to our uh after show people. You know a little bit more about Moose, but we never on this podcast really spoke about his journey about who he is we hear bits and pieces if you really pay attention if you put the pieces together but he is a really dope individual with a really dope story that i just wanted to collect in in like about an hour of like who moose is because sometimes i don't even know i'm like man what's he do again I always say that. I was like, I know I need you, but I don't even know what you do. But you're very important. So let's talk about it, right? So let's just start from the beginning. And if you agree, by the way, if you agree, yo, we don't know who Moose is. Like, comment on it. Like, yeah, thank you. Finally, we've been waiting for this episode. Okay, so let's let's start off with this. Uh, you were born. No, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> When you were five, April. no, yeah, no. I mean, let's, let's start with the, the the obvious of New Yorker, uh, immigrant, a huge like passion for. I'll let you fill it fill in, but there's so much to that than just the typical. I'm a, I'm a New Yorker, came in as an immigrant uh, with the family. You know, 9-11 happened, but I, I feel like there's more to that. So I really wanted you to share some of the the ups, the downs, the challenges of some of what makes who you are. Yeah, I always think back to um, uh, three, like three, three things that really shaped me to be who I am today. And a lot of it had to do with my dad, you know, so uh when I first met my dad, so I, I had met my dad as a child. I think he was at my first birthday party. He used to travel a lot to Kuwait when we lived in Egypt. And so uh, I had, but the first time that I recall like vividly meeting my dad was when I was seven years old. And I remember him like coming into the house, he came from Kuwait and I'm looking at like this giant figure who everyone talked so highly about to be my dad. And it was like, yo, that's crazy. I'm, I'm meeting my dad for the first time, at least so that I recall. And it was that trip when he came home that he also broke the news that we were going to be moving to America. So it's like, I just met you. All right, we going, we leaving everything to come to the States. Now at that time you're like, no, but this doesn't make sense because you're taking away, you're taking us away from our family, our friends, everything that we know to go to a place that is super foreign to us. So when I come here, it's not, it's not the America that everyone talked about back home because people treat you different because you look different. You don't speak the language, right? So there were all of those barriers that I think I can't think of who I am today without thinking about that experience 
and having to come to the country and not and have to almost reinvent myself to start learning a completely new culture and navigate the world through that land. So that's that's when it started for me for sure. Okay, so break so break something down because you're like <clears throat> you met your dad. So your dad wasn't like when you were born. What what age did you meet him? Uh, I was seven. Oh. I was seven. Yeah. So he was just working so most, the whole time. Yeah, most of the time he was working. So I think he came. I, I, if I remember correctly, my mom said he came to my first birthday party. Mm-hmm. So when I was when I was one years old, I, there's a picture of us him holding me when I was one. But again, like one year old, you don't remember. Like, remember. oh yeah, that's my dad. You don't yeah. remember nothing. So the first vivid memory that I have of him, and I'm sure he probably seen me scattered through that time period, but the first time that I met him that I recall, like I can literally close my eyes and think of that exact image, was seven years old at my grandma's house in Egypt. He walks in and it was like, yo, that's your dad. It's like, whoa. And uh, yeah, so that, that, that was a surreal moment for me. But just the transition of leaving that life to yeah. come here, that that's that's a big, you know, I gotta put that as a big like checkpoint of, oh, okay, yeah. Who you see today has a lot to do with that person. So like when I think of, you know, when I think of why I'm empathetic towards people and why I have compassion for what someone may be experiencing and why sometimes, although as an introvert, a typical introvert may not necessarily be uh, as in tune, maybe not all introverts, uh, as in tune with people's emotions. I think that migration is what kind of gave me that uh, that feel, right? Because mm-hmm. I think back to my struggles of, you know, being bullied, being made fun of, being uncomfortable because of the language barrier and the culture shock, everything altogether, that I look at people and I can sense the hurt and the things that they're not saying but feeling right. because of that moment for me. So I, I think... You know, my two passions are really people and business. So it's like mm-hmm. those two together. I mean, with the exception of baseball, but those those two things. But when I, I can't I can't tell you that, you know, my passion for the flight assessment and people and all those things isn't attached to that moment. Right. You know, it's like coming through that experience and then having to navigate the world. And then you mentioned that, of course, you know, 9-11. So basically for me, I was uh, in fifth grade at the time and uh, it was like the second week of school. And I went to school in Queens and literally from our school windows, you could see that entire city skyline, you know, all of the buildings, including Twin Towers at the time, uh, Empire State Building, Chrysler Building, all of the buildings. And so one of my friends was uh, sitting in class and brought to our our teacher's attention that there was smoke coming out of the Twin Towers. And it was like, oh, that's kind of weird. I didn't even know what the I didn't even know what the name of the building was. Uh, that just lets you know how new I was to still to the country. Although right, right. I had, I had learned the language at that point, but yeah, my life changed instantly that day because the narrative of what started to display throughout the world and on the news was about people of my background, my heritage that just committed this terror, you know, this terror and this terrible act. And so the connection is when you hear the name Mustafa and someone who's Muslim, you immediately tie it to 911. Mm-hmm. So that 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 was like a big identity crisis too because you grow up living this double life like wait but that's not what I'm taught at home like 
No, they don't tell us to do this stuff. This don't make sense. Right. But but you're again, you're going through a world where all the movies you're watching is people of your culture, your background, your language that are the bad guys or, you know, it's, it's crazy. And so that was another another pivotal point, because uh, when I when I got I think I was 27 when I first up looked when I first looked up the meaning of my name and it was the chosen one. Mm. So so when you're not when you're not careful, you're you're given this message or this narrative around who you're supposed to be, but it could be completely different from who you actually are. So it took a while. It took, you know, you're talking about almost some some 20 years in the making or something like that before I actually started to see, oh, okay, hold on a second. Yeah, no, nah, that's that's I gotta redo this whole thing over. Now right. now it makes sense why I was having some of the challenges. So like you you bring all of these experiences together around immigrant, not from this country, 9-11 from New York City, coming from where I come from and what I believe, and having to navigate the world with all of these different narratives and things around me, that's um that makes up a lot of who I am, like why why I move and, and believe the things I believe. Okay, so so connect something for me. So even like, and we'll get into the flight assessment later with, with how you, you know, your passion for people. But in the beginning, like coming into America and then with the whole 9-11, there was a lot of bullying and misunderstanding of who you are. So at what point did that change to where, or did it not phase you to where you're just like, I love people hello, I, I see it more deeper than that. Or was there a specific thing that happened that was like, oh, you know what? This is, I get it now. Like these, this is, this is not what I experienced. This is what I want to know more of. Yeah, no, ba baseball was my coping mechanism. So, so like my passion for the Yankees and baseball is like deeply rooted because, it, you know, if some, if, for those who, we're in New York at the time of 9-11. Uh, if you remember after the attacks of September 11, the only thing that played on TV for a week straight, it was the news. It was updates on what was happening. It was replay of the video and the plane crashing into the towers. But the first public event that took that, you know, that, that uh, was aired on back on TV was a Yankee game. Mm-hmm. So that was the very first thing that the news went away and it was like, we're going back to real life and it was a Yankee game. And it was like, oh, mm. right. It, it, it was it was literally a baseball game that went back. I don't know if it was the Yankees or the Mets, but for sure it was baseball. Right. And that was a big part for the city to almost start healing and coming back. Yeah. And so that was right around the time that I started playing baseball. And that was the one part or the one place that there was no discrimination. Like when it came when it came to baseball, it was you put in the work, you get a fair shot at playing because you beat out the, the person next to you or whoever it was, and you get your opportunity and that's it. It didn't matter what your name was, it didn't matter what your skin complexion was, it didn't matter what you believed in, it didn't matter where your parents were from. Mm -hmm. It was simple. Can you put in the work or are you willing to put in the work and you can you beat out the person next to you for the start for the starting opportunity? So that that was the coping mechanism of okay, I know this is still happening in the world or this is what life is like outside of these lines. But within these lines, 
that that started to give me a lot more discipline and understanding for the American culture, believe it or not, because I was now surrounded by a lot of different people from, from all parts of the world because of baseball. So this is where I got the Queens experience where I had a ton of friends that were from Dominican Republic. I had a ton, like friends from all over the world who played baseball, uh, primarily from Latin America. And, uh, and that's, that's what like started the, the re-entry into, oh, Queens is the most diverse nation in the world. And so you can actually neutralize what people say about you by simply embracing it and educating them on the truth. So there was this whole period of, oh my God, I don't wanna tell people my name or what I believe because they're automatically gonna associate it with what happened on 9-11 or, or make fun of me for that. But then when I started to see how I can work my relationships, I realized that I wasn't educated enough on the history of Egypt and what I actually believed. So when someone would say something to me, I had no, no comeback for it about, mm -hmm. Was well, like, okay, so you're saying you're not you're not associated with 9/11, or that's not what you believe. So, but what do you believe? And because I came so early, I never had a comeback to explain. Oh well, let me tell you, this is a group of extremists who actually are not Muslim at all, but they do that with the name. And but, right. So once I started, I went back home once in two. I think it was the year 2000 because I came to to the states in '97. I went back home once. That was my last time. I haven't been back since. In 2000, I went back to Egypt and I remember my uncle there taking me to the to the museums and like teaching me about the heritage and the history. And he's like, so that way, when people ask you, you at least have some level of knowledge to tell them about what it is. And so, uh, you know, that that helped a lot too. actually knowing what to say to help reframe people's perspective and uh, and help me to cope a little bit. I love that. So in in this time of like transition of, of, you know, coming from home now to America, that, that shift from bully to now liking people, what were some of the, the values and beliefs that actually also helped you cope, uh, that you learned from home, like from mom, dad, like that made it just a little bit easier. So when you went out to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the work ethic for sure came from my dad. You know, I always joke and say that um, my, my father owned the business and that was really my first introduction to business. It was through my dad because my uncle owned the bread route and then my uncle, my dad got into the business. And so for anyone who's affiliated with, you know, just bread routes or distributors in general, as it relates to uh, those big products like that, bread, uh, uh, what, is, what would they call it? Produce, you know, different products like that, that you just see on your, the, the shelves of your supermarket. It's everyday people who get up super early in the morning to take those products from uh, a company warehouse to the shelves of the supermarket. And so we did that, but primarily for a bread company. And that was my introduction to business. But our day started at three and four o'clock in the morning. And I was working from the minute I was seven or eight years old. So it only progressed until, you know, 15 when my father passed and a year or so later, we actually cut ties with the, with the bread route so that I can stay in school and finish uh, playing baseball as well. Right. But that work ethic of, okay, you want to play baseball, but you know what funds your baseball activities work. So let's go to work first. Mm. So I would get up at Saturday mornings, 
go work the bread route from 4 a.m. to 11 or 12 and then go to my game. And I remember times like us getting into, I don't want to call them fights. They were more so disagreements because I really had no say. But it was like, come on, like, please, let me go to the game. I have an early game today. It's like, yo, if you want to get to the game early, let's go to work. Let's move very fast. And let's make sure we get to your game on time. So it was, it was always that where, and it, you always, you know, when something like that happens is at a young age, you're upset at whoever's teaching you that lesson because you don't see the bigger picture of like, yo, why are you being like that? Just let me go to the game. Yeah. But after he passed, it all made sense. It's like, it was crazy because in a sense, it was like he knew that this was ha- going to happen as an only child. He, uh, or I was an only child, he would pass on and I would have no siblings or anyone to really fall back on. And I had to figure it out on my own. But it's like, I almost didn't miss a beat because he passed suddenly, massive heart attack one night. And, uh, and he passed on, unfortunately. So there wasn't no preparation in terms of like, oh, you know, heads up, this is what's going to happen. But as soon as that happened, I mean, he passed on a Friday, Monday, I was back at work. So it was like, Hmm. you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta hire a driver and train him on the business. You have a week off from school so that by the time you go back to school, the driver can now continue the route and life goes on. So Hmm. if, if he doesn't take me through that training period from seven to 15, there's no telling that I would have been able to hold it down for our family, at least when that happened. So that was, that was a pivotal moment. So I think of, you know, the work ethic, the solution oriented mindset of, Hey, problems are going to happen, but don't dwell on the problems. Just think about the solution that definitely comes from my dad, you know, and that environment. Uh, uh, my mom is just her heart. I think my mom has one of the, the biggest hearts in the world. She's such a loving person, so caring and she'll do She'll do like she'll she'll sacrifice herself to make sure you're good. So I think that passion for people comes from her. So it's like the work ethic and the business stuff from my dad and then the people part and the people skills in general or just how to treat and think about people and relationships that comes from my mom. So I think those are two two pieces that that uh, that have come from them. And of course, I got to give credit to my aunt because my aunt has helped me to really understand my faith, too. So, you know, she she's made a ton of sacrifices. I'm giving you all the all the deets on here today, but yeah, she made a ton of sacrifice. So I would say my faith and the understanding of, you know, what my faith is and what it means and to translate and actually formulate my own relationship, you know, my aunt played a, a big role in that. So with the with the passing of your father, like how, because you said you went right back to work on Monday. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, that, that is crazy. I don't, I'm not even going to ask how does that process. I'm, what I'm going to ask is how does that influence your goals and drive as a kid? Like maybe the day before you were, you weren't even thinking about certain things. And then when that happened, there was a certain kick to like, oh, snap, I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, how did the passing of of your father influenced everything that happened afterwards? Yeah, it made me grow up so much faster, you know, where the average freshman in high school is thinking about maybe how they look and what they're going to wear and how they're going to impress so-and-so. I had a completely different set of responsibilities and things that I needed to think about 
because of the circumstance, not because I was a special kid who just didn't think about those things. I absolutely thought about those things and even had to, you know, manage that in the midst of, but I just, the reality of my circumstance was so different that I had to think deeper into the future around, okay, what am I going to do for college? What are we going to do with the business? Um, how are we going to continue to survive? Do I keep playing baseball? Do I leave school? Like, do I drop out of school? That was a conversation at one point too. Mm-hmm. And so there were, there were all of these things that came together and I, it just went back to what was the value in the vision that we came to this country for. That was like the deciding factor. And when I thought back on that and talked to people who I cared about or, or respected and the value and the vision was we're coming here to make the sacrifice so that you can get a better education and do better than what your parents had. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh, so you have to leave the business to stay in school, not leave school to stay with the business. Mm-hmm. So that like that was something even my uncle and I disagreed on. My uncle was like, yo, you might need to leave school, stop playing baseball like you're not a kid anymore. Granted, I was 15, but, you know, from where his mentality is like, yo, you're 15, you're a grown man at this point. You need to take care of this business. Uh, But then my mom and like I said, like our internal conversations around what my dad wanted, it's like, oh, what would he have preferred me to do? It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, he would have wanted you to stay in school and complete your education to be the first one to graduate with a college degree. Like, that's what he came here for. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, let me fulfill that by leaving the business and, uh, and staying with the bread route, or excuse me, leaving the bread route to stay with school and, and, um, and baseball. Okay. So was there like a, like a age that was a super milestone that was like, yeah, this business thing, this is, this is for me. Like we've tried all these different things, but this particular thing right here, I want to do something around this, right? Like, was there a specific age or a specific job that yeah. was, that triggered that? Yeah, I, uh, I was in college. It was 2011 and a group of my friends were starting to do business overseas mm-hmm. from New York. They weren't traveling overseas. They had, you know, relationships and built relationships with suppliers in China and they were manufacturing products there and they were selling them on Amazon. And so that reignited the business kick because I saw them build a a brand from scratch and buy an office and get warehouse and start figuring out all these things on the fly. I was like, oh shoot, wait a second. Yo, I I have some business experience too. And so it it got me back involved in that kick and starting to think about, okay, what do I do in addition to baseball? Or what do Mm -hmm. I do just after baseball in general when college is done and over with? And so the first real time that I really remember going back into it and then starting to make the connection, because you know, it's crazy when, when you're navigating again, your life for like difficult times, you don't see the fullness of what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. when I was going through what I was going through after the passing of my dad, I didn't think about, oh, I have business experience and I managed the business and I did this and I did that because it's just what I needed to do to survive. It was a survival mechanism in a sense. Mm-hmm. So you you forget about that. You you sweep it under the rug as that's ordinary experience. Everyone does that. Like who wouldn't have done that? 
And so it takes it takes some some reflecting to go back and say, wait a second, this is not your first time down the rodeo. You have business experience already. It's the right. same thing. The environment may shift. So like for somebody listening right now, you might be saying, oh, no, no, I, I could never be an entrepreneur. I could never own my brand or I could never do this because you feel that in your mind, this is the very first time you're about to step out into the real world and take on this responsibility or put yourself out there. But I bet if you sat down and just took inventory of your life experiences, you would find other moments where you did the very same thing that it would take for you to start and put yourself out there and do those things now. So it's not your first time. You just have to make the connection the proper way. And so when I started to make the connection and date back to that, it gave me just a little bit more confidence to say, oh, I can do this. I just need to learn the infrastructure and the ecosystem in a new environment because I did it in the you know, the, the bread industry, mm-hmm. maybe that's not so sexy right. uh, with me trying to use the web and, and do uh, build relationships with manufacturers overseas and in China and the language barrier and all those things. But that, you know, my friends gave me that spark and then I ended up, and that's actually what sparked my relationship with E to some extent, because I met him right around that time in 2011. And then I sent him a business proposal to design these custom phone cases for him. So it was the first, like back at that time, there weren't, there wasn't drop shipping and there wasn't all of these different things that are available today where you could simply upload an image and have it slapped on, you know, hoodies and shirts and whatever, all these different products. And you're like, okay, bet, let's go. Right. For you to do that in 2011, that time period, you needed suppliers, you needed manufacturers, you needed design, like you needed a, a, a whole ecosystem just to make that happen. So I remember working on a business proposal uh, with my good friend Marvin, and I sent it over to, uh, I think it was CJ first, then E, then like it passed through pretty much everyone's hands before they, say, they came back and said, hey, let's do this for Black Friday. Right. And we designed about, I think, three or four different case styles that mm-hmm. went out. So that was the first time since my business experience that I had carried a project or a business start to finish and then got that business kick again. Like, hmm, okay, this is the most money I've ever made, like seen in one time right, right. from my efforts here. That doesn't hurt either because I lived off of that for like six months. I think it was like a short little... A little something that wouldn't really go far today, but I lived off of that for a minute. It, it made me feel rich for a long time. But uh, after baseball, it was like, you know, you start, you start picking, piggy, piggybacking off of those experiences for sure. So, okay, so stay right there because you mentioned uh, E, a.k.a. Uh, Eric Thomas, a.k.a. E.T. the Hip Hop Preacher, person who's been on the podcast about twice now. Um, let's talk about how did you go from selling phone cases to a whole partnership, (laughs) um, building extreme execution. Uh, You literally the right hand of this whole flight assessment that we know of and the new language that we have to not only for self-awareness, but as well as, you know, team communication and that whole nine. Like how did, how did, how did we get there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was a fan. Like, I started off as a super fan. You know, I, I, I was reading Think and Grow Rich at the time that I came across E's book. 
And for anyone who's read the book recently, you know that there's a story in the beginning of the book, maybe in the first two chapters, where someone who had no money, lived far away, wanted to work desperately with Thomas Edison. And he ended up just showing up and they, you know, story goes on to say that they went on to do like hundreds of inventions together because this guy was willing to do what the people who were around Thomas Edison already weren't willing to do. And so he got more opportunities just as a result of his desire and willingness. So I remember reading that and listening to E's videos every Monday at the time it was just TGIM. And I was like, you know what, rather than me try, I, I had to make the connection somehow. So I said, rather than me try to impress this guy with what I imagine everyone else is saying. So I'm sure everyone's reaching out like, E, I love the videos, man. I work mad hard. I want an opportunity or, you know, stuff like that. And so I said, let me do something different. I'm still playing baseball. I'm a freshman in college at this time. I said, I'm going to reach out and tell him about what I got going on and prove to him that I am all the things that people say they are. Hard worker, dedicated, disciplined, loyal, yada, yada, yada just through the consistency of my efforts. Mm -hmm. And so I found them on Facebook, I sent the message, and my expectation was I'm gonna have to send a message every day. That's what I was prepared to do. I'm gonna have to send a message every day so that I can get his attention and, and start introducing myself. I send the message the first day, he responds immediately and says something along the lines of, uh, I like what you got going on, let's keep in touch. It was like, here you go, prepare to do something every single day. And then from the very first or second try, you get, you get a positive response and it just reinforces the mentality of what I was trying to do. So that's how the relationship started. But I ended up uh, meeting him for the first time, officially him and CJ at an event in New York. And then the following week, I followed him into a, a church in New Jersey. And, and in a strange but weird way, it made me more of a Muslim because of his passion in uh, just transparency and the way he spoke about God in a Christian setting. It was the weirdest thing ever, but it was, I heard someone talking about God for the first time that I related to and understood. And so I just connected what he said about God to the person who I knew was God. And for me, that was, you know, my, 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 my faith. And so then that ignited that. And then literally later that summer, I got my scholarship to play baseball up in Michigan and we connected, you know, while in Michigan, I brought him to speak at my school and uh, just kept in touch, kept in touch. And then fast forward, that was what, 2012, fast forward to 2017, right after Game Changers and some of the stuff that was going on there, that kind of opened up the doorway for, you know, extreme execution and what happened there. Of course, I got to give credit to Chris Daniels, you know, may he rest in peace. He was the one who introduced us to the assessment originally. But after his passing, you know, it was Preach and I who stepped up to the realm to really kind of take control of everything that was happening as it relates to the assessment. And then we ran with it and he just was like, oh, you guys are getting certified? I'm going to get certified. And then we just started bouncing off of each other and, and fixing some of the things that he had going on in his business. And it was an organic connection around, let's do something together with this here. Let's build a certification program. Let's keep the trainings alive. Let's do this. And then that relationship just has grown into what it is now where, you know, I think five, five, going on five or six years, just from a business standpoint, to, to put the amount of money that we put into that tool and him, and him to really trust me. Cause I got to like admit, you know, he put up the money, I did all the work, but 
for for somebody to trust you with that amount of money and you know that much writing on it is uh you know is, is definitely something huge so that's uh that's that's the brief story abbreviated story of of e and and the business there so i actually got a side question and i'm gonna go back to what i really need to ask so from a collaboration standpoint right you're an only child mm-hmm. to to focus so much on such a big uh collab how did like how does that make you feel like is it like yeah this makes sense because i'm an only child or uh it took these particular collabs to go wrong or right for me to understand the importance of it or i had to go through certain things by myself for me to understand it's okay to be uh, a number two. It's okay to be, you know, behind the scenes. Like, I, yeah. I, I wanted to always know that. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever made the connection because of me being an only child. Because I've always had something going on where I played the number one. So, <laughs> at the time that we built Extreme Execution, I started and ran the Dream Supply, which was my business in the hospitality industry, and that was completely on my own. Right. And so I was doing those simultaneously. So yes, I was, you could call it playing a number two here or even a number three, but I was number one on this side right, for right. what I was doing. And so you still get that kick out of it. So I think, I think, and it's a combination of coming from a sports background where I played on team sports. So I, I never mind not, you know, having complete control for the sake of us doing something together. Mm-hmm. And just say, hey, if it makes sense, let's do it. Like I can curb my ego for the sake of us moving forward on a collective vision. But at the same time, I think now that you mention it, it probably makes sense why I'm always going to veer off at least a little bit and do something in my own little corner where I don't have to worry about anyone's feelings. I don't have to care about what anyone thinks. I can just go and and that's what needs to happen because I'm by myself. It, it's, right. it's it, it just it fuels that survival instinct or that, you know, that feeling that I uh, have had to almost embody for so long because of what I've been through. So I think that's how I cope with it. Because I, if I were to act that way in some of the team environments that I play in, I would, I would blow up everything. It would be, it would be bad, but uh, you know, having, having something that I just run on my own is always helpful in in that sense. Okay. That's fair. Now to, to go back to uh, just extreme execution overall. I mean, there's been some major moves, and because of you, uh, we're talking about two, two million in in revenue in in just a like a thought of like, yo, let's work together. I think my question to go along with that is, what are some of the true foundation that a business needs to have to reach a revenue goal like that? Yeah, Um, there's so many different factors that go into it, but you know, uh, what I like to think I specialize in, um, although I can play different pockets, at least for extreme execution, because we're a small company. At the end of the day, our department is run by three people. Um, You know, we have, support services that we lean on from time to time, say for legal and accounting and some other minor things. But for the most part, 
two or three people run our entire department. So this is not a 20 person company or a five person company who you have access to at all times. And you're able to utilize those resources to generate a multi-million dollar bottom line or top line at the end of the year. You have to move a little bit differently. And that opens up the room for you to have to wear some different hats, right? So I'm not just a behind the scenes person because I can also, I also co-lead our trainings and certifications and negotiations with, with clients. So it's like, there's a lot of different things that you end up doing, but the way I think of it for my, at my core, I specialize in business development. And I think about business development as the process for how a brand brings their products and services to the marketplace while preserving their values, right? Everyone has a different definition for what they would call business development. It's a process, it's a this, it's a that. But for me, it's let's identify what your values are as a company, as a brand. What are the things that you truly care about? Because from those, you give birth and you give way to the customer experience, the customer journey. How are you going to allow people to interact with that which you bring to the marketplace? And then from there is, are we clear on what are our opportunities for a product and service to go to the marketplace? And then we fulfill that. Now, of course, there's a lot of other things that go with it. There's the marketing, there's the branding, there's the sale. There's so many different things. But I think business development has always been a bridge concept. I love the concept of building bridges because bridges or a bridge in general, it's, it's a, it's a man-made uh, structure that connects two things that would never meet. And so when you think about a person's values, their gifts and the product and service with a customer and the experience that they have, business development is the thing that connects all of that together. That's, that's how I've looked at it. So I would say for any company who's trying to reach their first six figures or seven figures or whatever it is, I mean, any, any dollar number in general, we, today, I just look at it, it's difficult not to generate some level of revenue in today's marketplace. The, 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 the business dynamic has become significantly easier. I mean, just think back to what I said in the beginning of this when I said I had to communicate with people in China and I had to shift my entire work schedule because there was a 12 hour time difference just to get images and communicate the design of what we want and the product and the pricing and this, this and that. Where today you can do that with a couple of clicks of a button on a website like dropshipping, right? Yeah. Not to mention that you could even have the design created for you by AI and like it's bananas. It's not difficult to make money today. I think if you're struggling to make money, it is most definitely an indicator that you have some healing to do, that you have some insecurities to overcome, and you just need to do some self-work. That's the, the business dynamic is just too easy today to not make money as, as it relates to, you know, the online space. Mm. Um, okay. But on the, on the forefront, yeah, that's, um, that's a little bit about the process and how I see it. Okay. So, uh, kind of staying in line with that and to, turn into what we talk about on the podcast. I mean, if, if dealing with, with E pretty much that is taking a personal brand and turning it into a business. My question to you is more on what based off all your research, based off your experience, what are personal brands not doing in order to prepare themselves for, 
to turn themselves into a business? Like what are some of the things they're overlooking? What are, I would say, give them three things that they're not doing and hence why they're not getting the revenue they want, you know, the, the looks that they want and to really say, yo, that's a, that's, that's a business or that's you're ending up to be an empire one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say number one, they're blinded by their passion, right? Mm -hmm. They're so excited and emotionally attached to How, what wait, brings first them. First of all, you're not going to speed <laughs> past that. Like you didn't just say what I you gotta just said. I got to say the truth. I got to say the truth. I got to say the truth. And I, I don't mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I'm just saying when you're so, when you're so emotionally attached to what you do, it's difficult to see clearly how you can turn it into a business because your emotions are at play. So when you're blinded by your passion, it's going to be a big, a big challenge for you to turn it into a business. Number two, when you're not clear on what industry you're in, right? And what is, what is the, the, the rules or how, how does your industry function from a business standpoint, right? So it's one thing to be in the space and you want to satisfy your desire to just be an entrepreneur. You just, you're just desperately wanting to get to a space so that when somebody asks what you do, you can say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And you like, you like the, the response that someone may have when you tell them that answer. Right. But you're missing out on, well, what industry are you in? Are you clear on how things work in that space? Like how is money, how are billion dollar companies operating in your industry? Right. When I started to understand that we were in the training and education space and we were in the psychometric tool space, and there was $13 billion to spread and another some, I don't know, $50, 50 billion spent on just leadership training alone in the U.S., right? These are stats that I have come to learn and study because I started to understand that I'm not just in the space of hyping people up or helping people. There's a specific industry that you're a part of based on the product and service that you bring to the market. And you need to get clear on what is that industry? What's the market cap of that industry? And what are the, the, the rules of engagement in that space? Like how was money made? How was money lost? What, what are the biggest challenges? What are the, what are the biggest opportunities? Where's the future headed in that space? When you start to get clear on that, I think that's the second one. And the third one for most people who are just so talented that their gifts can almost override those first two things, at least for the time being. If they're still struggling in a, from a business standpoint, they're just simply not asking for the sale or they're not doing it the right way. So there are some people who can get themselves in a position to be clear and have all these different things and they're attracting people to them. There's no issue, but they just can't overcome the hurdle of simply saying this costs this much. And here's how we, here's how we transact or at least creating a seamless process enough to make that happen. So I think from a starting standpoint, that's where it at, is at. When you start to talk scale and, and getting into big, big business, I think you, you have to talk systems and fulfillment because there are studies that show that your business will break every time you 3X. So if you make $100,000 and your business grows to $300,000, Whatever you were doing at 100,000 is not going to scale or function the same way at 300,000. Right. And so you have to be wise enough to say, all right, how do I rebuild my business at 300,000 to keep its authentic core still in place, but then prepare it for the new phase that we're in and hopefully where we're going. So you're, you're always chasing growth. That, that's the truth. So 
I think a lot of people just get burnt out of that process. I mean, think about how many times you just have to rebuild or at least fix something from 100,000 to a million. If you use that study alone, you've at least done it three and a half times. Some people get burned out of doing that. Like, yo, I'm tired of rebuilding yet another time. Hmm. So good. It's so good. Okay, so uh, let's let's take a little quick turn, but you already kind of connected it. So um, you and E also connected from a fate standpoint, right? And I think my question to you is, as an active entrepreneur, like, how do you stay so so strong with your faith? I mean, right now you're you're saying you're at the end piece of Ramadan, and not only are you and we'll get into it like active dad, but like you still have a business to run. You have multiple things to do as an entrepreneur. How is that balance? Uh, how important it is to keep that those values and beliefs in what you're doing because i i feel that uh that doesn't get talked about as much in entrepreneurship where there there's faith and entrepreneurship connected is not two separate things yeah yeah it it has to come first you know i think the 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 challenges that i've learned or the lessons that i've learned throughout my business career of going on 10 years now is most business people will try to put business as the primary thing that they do in their life. Because as an entrepreneur, you dedicate so much time and so much time is needed or necessary for you to succeed in the space. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, but at some point you start to see that everything falls out of whack. And that's why people have different beliefs around uh, work-life balance. And some people call it life-work balance. They put life first. And there's a lot of different philosophies. Some people will tell you, hey, balance doesn't exist. It's just a rhythm and different seasons. And you just have to find what works for you. The thing that I find that works for me is that faith has to come first. Right. And so I remember the first adjustment that I made was in 2018 or so, I said, no business Fridays. Mm -hmm. And some people used to do the four, like the four-day work week, because on um, Friday, you know, it's the summer. So it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, you don't work on Fridays because of the summer. But for me, no work Fridays was specifically because we go to the mosque on Fridays. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that if I kept myself open for any work on Fridays, or at least the first half of the day on Friday, I can run late to the mosque. I can miss the mosque altogether. Things will come up and I'll be like, oh man, I just, I can't do it. I got to wait till All next right. week. And the next week, like the minute you miss something, quite honestly, you could you could miss it once and not realize that you missed it for an entire six weeks because of that one time that you missed. Mm -hmm. And so when I made that first adjustment and just said, no business Fridays, it was the first time that I showed the creator that, hey, you come first in my life so much so that I'll put the business secondary to what has to be done on this day. Mm -hmm. And so ever since then, I used to not work at all the entire morning up until about 1 2 o'clock on a Friday and maybe just work a couple hours in the afternoon and that was it because I wanted to make sure nothing distracted me. When I built enough discipline, now I can do things in the morning on a Friday, but I know from 11 till about 1 2 o'clock, there's nothing that could interfere with me getting to the mosque because that is the primary thing that I have to do. 
When I go there, I'm getting recharged. I'm getting more clear about the importance of what I'm doing. I'm getting more educated about how to navigate and balance life, faith, and business because they all are three different pillars that are necessary. And so that's what I realized is you have to schedule your business around your faith, not your faith around your business. The minute I did that, and again, my faith is, is a little bit more demanding than most because you have to pray five times a day, every day, not just once a week, like every single day you have to pray five times a day. You have to fast for 30 days, once a year, no right. exceptions. Uh, there's a certain cleansing routine that you have to go through before you pray. You know, there, there's so many things that you can look at as inconveniences, but it breeds that structure and that routine and the discipline necessary that if you channel it with that, because it's really a part of who you are and what you believe, you start to see that it powers what you're doing in business. Not, It doesn't take away from it. So I actually have a kind of, I wouldn't say controversial question, but Hit what's your take controversial. on Controversial, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how are you as he as he sips his drink? <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you feeling about do well? How do how do I say this? Do you feel that in this day and age, that being Muslim is somewhat trendy? It is. I hate to say it. It is. Hmm. It definitely is. There was a time. I'm telling you. There was a time there was nobody, nobody celebrating Ramadan. We never got days off from school for our holidays. It wasn't on the calendar. Like right now you can open up your phone on like your Apple calendar or Google calendar and it'll say first day of Ramadan. It's like, right. what? <laughs> Growing up, there, there was nowhere in sight. They were not celebrating nothing Muslim at all. There was no appreciation for it. Like I said, the only thing that I saw were people who were Muslim in movies being the bad guys. They were the terrorists. They were the ones that the U.S. Army was going and being super heroic. And that's just the only thing you saw. So yeah, right now it is super trendy. And I think I, I, I'm proud of it though, because it finally, like, for example, I remember three or four years ago when Apple put the emojis out of mm -hmm. the prayer hands facing upward, like that's how mm -hmm. Muslims pray. They don't really, you know, put their hands together. They kind of pray with their hands like this. And then also they started to show people with the, the hijab, like the female with the hijab. And I was like, yo, even Apple is getting diverse. Like all of those moments were really cool to see come together because I, th I think that's a big reason why everyone says representation matters. You start to feel that there are examples of people who look like you that are being showcased in mainstream. So to see commercials, and I remember seeing my first Amazon commercial of a, of a priest and a Muslim uh, leader, they call him an imam, mm -hmm. but they did, a, they did a commercial together about like this knee brace and Amazon powered the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. We live in a completely new era where they're showcasing this stuff on Front Street. Nike, when they did the, the hijab for, man, I forget the young lady's first name, but I think her last name is Muhammad. She was a fencing a U.S. Olympian fencing champion, and they made a, a, a hijab for her because there was some controversy about her, you know, covering her hair or whatnot. So I see, I know it's super trendy right now, but I do have to think back over the last three or four years and see all of these moments come together to yeah. put us in position for where we are now, where it is more regularly talked about and celebrated. 
just because people are now educated on the true essence of what it is to be of the Muslim faith. Like that, that I can't even be mad at it. Like, yeah, it's trendy, but honestly, I'm just happy people know the truth or they have a better understanding. Maybe they may not be fully educated, but they have a better understanding of what our people are about. That, right. that, that brings me joy. So I'm gonna have to ride this wave. I know I'm not a, you know, I try, I, not, I try not to be a bandwagon fan, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to ride this one because it, uh, it's, it's super cool to see. Okay. I, I admitted that now talking about balance as well. Uh, your new dad. Okay. Hello. So now we have an, a new layer of what does a new daddy, because I'm not just going to say dad, because that just speaks as a holistic, but a new dad, uh, as a, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, like talk to us about that, that phase that you're in right now, feelings, still trying to get it together. Was there anything that helped prior to like pretty much talk to the new dads that, are kind of like, how am I supposed to still do this entrepreneurship life? Like, am I still with my, my family? Am I out? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, first off, man, I'm, I'm so grateful. It's, it's definitely a blessing and it's a beautiful experience. Uh, I'm grateful just to be present. Honestly, I, I, I think the reason why I'm so passionate about fatherhood is because over the years and over the span of my lifetime, I just turned 33 a week or so ago, and I've come to realize the importance of a present male father figure in a child's life. And so I go into this chapter of my life now thinking about that first and foremost and saying, okay, how can I continue to show up as a, as a healed complete version of me to give this, this child a better opportunity at this thing called life than what I had. You know, I think that's every parent's dream. And it's it's difficult when you can't be present or you're pulled or you personally are just not developed at a level where you can keep your sanity despite of all the craziness that comes with having a newborn or just having children in general, right? Because they don't have control of their emotions just yet. They don't know who they are. Like there's a lot that you have to help them figure out. And so I'm just so grateful at the fact that I became a father now and not earlier, because although I I love the family dynamic, I'm a family man at heart. I don't know that I would have been as ready as I am now. Now I'm just like, let's go. I'm, 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 I'm super involved because of that reason. So I think that alone is the bedrock or the foundation that makes me look at balancing all of this stuff a little bit differently at my core. I'm a person of routine. Mm-hmm. Being a new dad, your routine doesn't mean jack. Right. <laughs> it's like the baby does not care that this is the time that you wake up and go to the gym. Yeah. Like, bro, I'm hungry. So you know what you're going to do? I'm going to cry until you feed me. All right. And if you got to miss the gym, guess what? I don't care. All right. <laughs> so it's like, it's, um, it's, it's, it's taken, uh, it's teaching me the importance of now being flexible, even though I much rather a set pace and routine and schedule and flow for how things ought to be. 
So it's still early, you know, and I keep talking about it because, again, at the end of the day, it's only been a month. So I can't, you know, give super, super deep insight on it. But that's the biggest thing that I've learned is even though that's what you prefer, the ability to be flexible or to be almost the polar opposite of what you are and still do what you have to do. I think that is a big win. So tomorrow I'm looking at the one month anniversary tomorrow and I'm like, okay, fatherhood one, but Moose also gets one. Like Moose ain't got a zero on the first 30 days because I feel that I've, I've still held it down. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. But I think from a business standpoint now, or just entrepreneurship in general, it starts to show you that you can continue to build your businesses in a way that demand and command 18 hours of your day. Mm-hmm. By all means, you just can't be the type of father that is present with their kids 18 hours a day, right? Because mm-hmm. there's only 24 hours in a day. So you're going to choose. Do you want to balance and juggle or do you want to start to build different? And so now I'm at a point in my business career where I'm thinking about building different. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to summarize it. As I'm looking into the future, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I redo what I currently have? and change my approach with how I navigate the business world so that I can preserve a certain lifestyle. And it's not just about being present for children. It's you also want to preserve your health because you're not going to have the same level of health forever. Mm. And I don't want to spoil that either. So yeah, it's crazy. It's when I hear myself talk like this, I feel like I grew up on camera and to some extent, and I'm, and I'm watching this version of me talk and I'm thinking about 25-year-old version of me and just what that person would have thought about the things that I'm saying today. Like, you, bro, you a sucker. Like, I would never, you know, it's just crazy to think about. But it's true. I think life teaches you so much mm-hmm. that when you realize there's more truth to be learned, you move a little bit differently and you don't try to defy the odds. I'm... I, I, I'm one of 7 billion people on this planet. It's, it's like at the end of the day, can I really defy, you know, science and all this stuff? I can try. Is it worth it? I don't think so. So I'm just at a different point in my life now where I'm, I'm thinking about life a little bit differently, not just as it relates to fatherhood and, and having children, uh, but just everything in general, business and life and, and people and relationships. Because I care deeply about all of those things. Right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That was the final word. I should have just closed the the joint right there. <laughs> Golly. All right. So uh, I, I got to treat you like everybody who gets on here. Um, Three books. Okay. Ooh. Three books that has helped <sighs> mold um, your your thought process your your way of moving your expertise uh amongst branding and business give us three three books wow that's crazy um so first one uh i have to say wow that's so much like i'm looking at all the books in my library right now and it's it's so much mm-hmm. but uh if i had to really really simplify it i would say the first one is Blitzscaling by Reed Hoffman. Mm. Um, 
founder, uh, founder or co-founder of Netflix, but phenomenal book because, you know, as I talk about this next chapter is about thinking differently about business. This book helped me to start understanding the importance of integrating technology and how to navigate as a tech entrepreneur, not just as a business entrepreneur. There's a difference and it's important. So Blitzscaling was a great book. Uh, Purple Cow, uh, when you talk, you know, I would categorize that as the branding book or marketing book, but Seth Godin, I mean, a phenomenal book just about literally thinking different. Um, maybe I shouldn't be giving these summaries so I don't spoil them for the readers, but just in case you're interested about why I chose them or what I learned from them, I would definitely say that, man, thinking different about the business where you think about, you know, who helped me to realize this even more, man, I got to give him, give him credit. Daryl, Daryl came onto the podcast when, uh, when he talked about YouTube and he said, uh, everyone is focused on the best practices, but you know, it's the issue with the best practices. Everyone's trying to do them. Mm. And so if you want to be authentic, yes, you want to pay attention to the best practices, but you also have to add your spin to it. And mm. when I think about what he said, and I think about this book, it just reinforced that idea so much. And I was like, yo, that's, that's real. Like this, this is important. And then last but not least, I think if there was a book that really hit home. Um, Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I think that was a really good book too. Okay. Because it covers both business, branding, and people. Like you actually, there's, there's like the three main sectors. If, if we had to think about business as a one universal thing, I would say it's actually all three, branding, business, and people. So... Simon Sinek's Star Wars is another phenomenal book. Facts. Listen, uh, I want to say thank you uh, for trusting me to ask yeah. the questions, uh, to opening up on this platform, um, and three, being very authentic with your answers. Like, I didn't see too much processing. Mm. And for those people who are going to watch the video, you, you'll see what I'm talking about. Like, he's, he's definitely the, you can't ask him a spontaneous question. Uh, Isaiah, if you can put in the videos, please catch one time where he was thinking and he got caught off guard. Like, damn, I wasn't even expecting <laughs> that question. Like, please, yeah, please find yeah. that for us. Um, but yeah, you, you didn't really process. You just really went with what was on your mind and what was on your heart. And so thank you for doing that. Um, of course, uh, you you got to end it with, wait, before you end it, hold on. Uh, definitely go and listen to the after show because uh, I'm going to ask a few more questions. Okay. This is good. So this is going to, this is a few more, this is <laughs> way continued. more relaxed. Okay. Yeah. But it's going to be, uh, a little bit deeper, more questions. So go check the after show out. Of course, create a Rav every Friday. Go check that out and follow us at Nikki and Moose everywhere. But Moose, for your final words, your favorite quote of all times. Oh my goodness. There's so many. Um, gosh. It's, uh, it's like so, some of the, I think that what makes this question hard, it's the same thing with the books. I'm, I'm a nerd in that category. So there's so much, but, um, the, the one that, that still sticks out is, uh, Nipsey's too much of anything is a liability. I think I, I, 
as an extremist, you you learn you learn that that's going to eventually ruin what you're trying to build. So too much of anything is a liability.